Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys got some big old cups of coffee. We got a lot of pretty interesting things to talk about in the top 10 crypto trending articles of the day. So before we dig in, thanks to all those who have subscribed. I really do appreciate it. And links to all the articles will be posted down in the description. So please do your own research. So we got to talk about Chainlink. The price of it soared by more than 34% to reach a new all-time high at $8.48. Also notch a nice little $2.5 billion market cap, which took it to number 10 in the cryptocurrency space where it's sitting right now. So on July the 6th, Link had surpassed its previous record high of $5.31 and officially entered a price discovery phase, which typically leads to a fear of missing out or FOMO rally among its investors. Once price discovery occurs and the assets begin to rally to a new peak, the probability of an extended uptrend rises, and Link's trading volume has rose to levels unseen since April of 2020 when Bitcoin was recovering from an intense drop to $3,750, like, bam! Holy wow, I do not own any chain link. I'm kicking myself for not owning any chain link, as some of you may be right now. For those of you that are holding it, congratulations. Personally, I hope you've been holding it since it was 50 cents a dollar, all that stuff. So it is insane. The question is, why? Is this just some random pump? And the answer is thankfully no. So throughout 2020, Chainlink has secured several high-profile partnerships with companies in the crypto sector. On July 8th, Chainlink partnered with Nexo, which I, I am invested in Nexo. So full disclosure there, no Chainlink, but I do have Nexo. Um, it's a decent alternative to crypto.com. Don't trust me. Do your own research, but maybe check it out. Not being paid by them. Uh, a crypto lender with reportedly 800,000 users to deploy its Oracle solutions. Chainlink co-founder Sergey Narazov said, we're excited to bring Chainlink's secure and reliable Oracle solutions to Nexo's popular lending platform to enable users to independently verify on-chain the interest and collateralization rates they should receive. Bam. They've also collaborated with um, Hedra Hashgraph and the Mantic Network and uh, insanely enough, the blockchain service network, which just deployed 135 nodes in China, it's a Chinese-backed government project, and Chainlink is providing the Oracle services for it. So this ain't just some random pump and dump. Chainlink's got some, uh, they got the receipts to back up what they're doing. And it comes on the heels of the altcoin market gaining momentum. Um, Ethereum had a bit of a rally. We went from $175 to $240 since the first week of May. Um, that, on top of the fact that Bitcoin has been trending pretty flat for the past like three to four months, has given like a good foundation for altcoins to rebound after a year, a very long year, of stagnation. So keep an eye on Chainlink. Some people are calling for 10 bucks this year. I Honestly, I think it's highly doable. I think it's trading in the like $7 and something right now. Um, it's definitely a coin to keep an eye on, and it's something I'm very interested to see where it goes. Alrighty, moving on to numero dos. We gotta talk about Aave. So Aave's Lend token might just be more than DeFi hype, though it is up 1200% on a year to date basis. Um, other tokens in the realm of DeFi, decentralized finance, are up by triple digits, including Synthetix, ThorChain's Rune, and Kyber Network's KNC. 
Um, some $158 million of value has been deposited as collateral in Aave's lending protocol just six months after the protocol went live in January. Compound um, at the six-month mark had $27 million, but at this time, they're still the industry leader with $684 million, a 25-fold increase. And keep in mind, these compound hit the market um, its six-month mark was March of 2019, so it's been around a little bit longer, so it's had way more time to gain traction. But last week, Aave rolled out a new feature, Credit Delegation, which effectively allows users to set up credit lines, uh, much like a credit card company would set up for you, that can then be drawn down by other users in the form of peer-to-peer -peer lending. Under the program, investors can deposit stable coins. Uh, they can then become the delegator. They can set the terms of the loans, such as interest rates and the amount of capital being drawn. Since the ultimate borrower of the money isn't posting any collateral, the delegator is bearing most of the risk and may be able to charge higher interest rates. High risk, high reward. You want to lend out a crap ton of money on the Aave platform. You can set how much you're going to charge in interest, how much you'll loan out to a single person, and all this stuff. And then the other person signs an agreement for all this stuff and then is able to borrow the agreed upon amount of money. Now, it does bear, does carry a lot of risk because if old Chad and Karen, which are shown in the graph, which hilarious, um, for the memes, anyways, um, if Chad decides he's going to be a Chad and not pay you back, it's going to be pretty hard for you as an individual to track him down, take him to small claims court, and get that money back, while at the same time um, not making it more trouble than it's worth. So it's got some risks, but man, if you can charge like 25-30% and you can diversify enough that you can absorb those hits, this might be a worthwhile thing for you to do, but do a lot of research. So. Um, Ave CEO Stanley Kulichev said in a tweet last week, um, credit delegation could help push DeFi into financial debt markets worldwide, making it a liquidity backbone. Borrowers could be cryptocurrency exchanges, market makers, lenders, institutions, businesses, non-governmental organizations, or governments, he wrote. Uh, not that Lend isn't benefiting from speculation at all. Some traders might be extrapolating how Aave's usage might be increasing going forward and giving the tokens price an additional lift. But they are squarely positioned within the fast-growing DeFi industry and some industry executives that these autonomous or semi-autonomous systems could ultimately challenge or displace banks, brokerage firms, insurance companies, and money lenders. Like, yeah, I personally would have a problem with lending out my money to a person but if I was able to lend it out to Binance or you know BitMEX or Coinbase so that way they could like you know get some quick cash so they could do some projects knowing that they're a business and businesses tend to pay back their debts eh, I'd be more likely to do that it's definitely an interesting thing that they've added increasing their options increasing the usability whether or not this will be you know, safe and secure for us to use. Like the platform will be safe and secure, but whether or not that credit delegation thing is gonna be uh, worth the risk, I don't know. 
So definitely if it's something that interests you, do a lot of research. I'd be very wary of it just because of the amount of risk you're taking on to yourself. But this is the cryptocurrency space where risk is welcomed. So eh, do your thing. Alrighty, moving on, let's hop over and talk about Zcash. Um, not just Zcash, but Zcash and consensus. Uh, and cryptos are taking PPP loans, which is paycheck the Paycheck Protection Program. Yeah. Um, Bitcoin Core developer Peter Todd <laughs> has criticized the development company behind Zcash, the electric coin company, for accepting this forgivable loan from the U.S. government's Paycheck Protection Program. For those of you not in America, uh, one of the ways the government is trying to help um, people from being laid off and losing their jobs is they offered these potentially forgivable loans to businesses so that way they could keep people on payroll. Success has been um, limited and the program has drawn a lot, and I mean a lot of criticisms, not just from people in the crypto space taking these bailouts, but from many, many large companies taking these bailouts when the purpose of them was to help small to mid-sized businesses keep from collapsing and having to lay off all their workers. So in my opinion, the criticism is very warranted. So, Zcash's electric coin company got a COVID-19 paycheck protection loan between $350,000 and a million. On what basis, though? How did COVID affect the virtual currency? At the very least, potentially committing fraud for a measly $350K is a bad sign. Surely Zcash isn't that desperate for cash? I wouldn't want to put a target on my back like that if I were running an anonymous cryptocurrency. Which, you know, the Christmas Zcash is an anonymous cryptocurrency designed to give users independence and freedom from government surveillance. <laughs> government surveillance is accepting a check from the U.S. government. Um, it, you know, this tweet that Todd, you know, shared, it got a lot of people talking. Um, you know, a lot of enthusiasts are like, yeah, this probably isn't a very good mood move i'm inclined to agree it it just looks bad for a million dollars like and the problem is they're not the only one at least a hundred different cryptocurrency related companies are said to have taken advantage of the government loan including consensus ethereum iohk cardano shapeshift the tron foundation polychain capital and unchained capital in general the companies received an amount somewhere in the neighborhood of Zcash's between 300,000 and a million. Um, the main goal of the Paycheck Protection Program is to prevent mass layoffs. In total, the crypto industry has received at least 42 million in forgivable loans. I, it's one of those things as a company, if they qualify for it and they can get it and it's potentially forgivable, they as a company are going to do that. I understand that from a logical perspective, but really, Cardano, you couldn't afford to just take a small hit in an economic downturn so that way mom and pop stores had a better chance to get things. Like this, At the end of the day, it, it does fall on the federal government for not defining the terms that allowed people to qualify and, or disqualify people from the program a little, little too vague. Um, in fact, a lot of members of the United States Congress have been criticized because they're private companies or they're like 
you know, organizations have been taking these loans as well. So it's just a not good look all around. Um, why they chose to highlight Zcash and not Blast, Ethereum, Cardano, Tron, Polychain, and Unchained more, I don't know. But yeah, just, it's not a good look. Like, I logically understand it, but why, 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 why? Hey, moving on, we do got to touch on Coinbase a little bit. Um, so they're defending the licensing of their analytics platform to government agencies. And I'm going to say this up front, <clears throat> excuse me, before we get in and talk about this. I do not like the fact that they're doing this. I, I do not. I really don't like the fact that they're doing this. However, the argument I'm about to read from Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, I agree with. I don't like that I agree with it, but I agree with it. So don't destroy me in the comments, but I, I just want to know. I'm going to read this and kind of explain why. Um, but the argument, I think, speaks for itself. So Coinbase defended the licensing of its analytics software, saying if people really wanted privacy, privacy coins are around. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong took to Twitter to talk about this, uh, the company's practice of licensing out the Coinbase analytics platform. So. He says, and I do quote, exchanges that maintain connections to an existing financial system, i.e. the ability to connect your bank account, do wires, etc. so you can convert fiat to crypto, need to follow AML laws. And this often includes utilizing blockchain analytics software for transaction monitoring. There is a lot that could be better about existing AML laws, and we didn't create them, but those are the rules to operate a fiat to crypto exchange legally. Armstrong added that it's expensive to build an analytics platform, so they wanted to recoup costs by selling it. He said it was important to have the analytics software, particularly as a means to encourage more interaction between fiat and crypto. If people want true privacy, that is what privacy coins are for. I'm a fan of privacy coins because I think everyone should have more financial privacy. It will be similar to how the internet moved from HTTP to HTTPS over time. Okay, the only thing I disagree with him on is that they sold the analytics platform to government agencies. But I understand why they have to do many of the things they do. They have to work within the system so that way they can remain a player, remain an employer, keep providing people with jobs, and provide themselves with a comfortable life. I don't like that they're doing this, but for us to change the system, we have to get into the system and make those changes. The only other option is to tear the whole system down, and while I'm not against it, that's generally pretty bloody and leads to years of unrest and instability. So if we can, you know, kind of work within the system to make some good long-term structural changes that allows people more personal freedom while at the same time improving the quality of life and improving the amount of services that can be provided, the efficiencies that can be created to bring down costs so that way we can use that saved money to reinvest in things like infrastructure and healthcare and education and retirement for people, 
Like those, that's where I want that money to go. So that way we can live comfortably, free of any scrutiny or interference, and have our most basic, basic needs provided for us at some minimal levels. So that way society can function without worry. We got to get in there and do it. Coinbase, they're doing the best they can. I might not like everything they do. You might not like everything they do. But for them to operate in the world as it exists today, they have to do some of these things. And honestly, the U.S. Secret Service is increasing its scrutiny of cybercrimes, which I'm not completely against because, dear Lord, them YouTube videos are getting nuts. But yeah, so let's, let's jump over and we're going to talk about stocks. So um, the macro outlook for stocks seems pretty stable. Uh, sentiment is one of worry, though, because of the spread of cases and the United States' response to protect the economy. There's an emerging possibility the Fed hasn't gone far enough. Quantitative strategist at Stanford C. Bernstein wrote in a note, it may come to pass, then maybe the valuation of the market doesn't simply matter. Um, Cointelegraph reported Bitcoin shown no signs of lessening its dependence on stocks in recent weeks. They It moves up or down, and it has appeared to shape uh, Bitcoin U.S. dollar performance with the last week's trip from 9,000 to 9,500 and back down again. Uh, basically, the stocks are kind of in this weird fluctuating pattern because everyone's waiting to see how the coronavirus breaks one way or the other. I'm of the opinion you should probably start shorting stuff mid to long term, but again, I'm not an expert. But yeah. Um, fresh data shows, with five indicators flashing bearish for July, that the coronavirus is weighing heavily on U.S. customer confidence. Um, there's also this fear and greed index, which is showing the crypto fear and greed index is in the fear category with little movement for several weeks, and traditional market equivalent is flashing greed while trending towards neutral. So everyone's just kind of in this weird wait and see mode. Um, you know, misgivings about stocks recovery since March have long persisted in Bitcoin circles. The Fed's interventions, particular, you know, making money printer go burp, have fueled accusations that the entire atmosphere is now artificial. I'm inclined to agree with that. But Bitcoin fundamentals are overall strong, and they just um, had a difficulty uptick. I think it's made, you know, mining Bitcoin the hardest it's ever been. So, we're all in this weird wait and see pattern. Are stocks gonna go down? Are they gonna maintain? Is the government gonna intervene more to prevent things from going down? And how will that affect Bitcoin? And the answer is no one really knows. Everyone is speculating wildly and the people who guess right are going to make a buttload of cash. What a world we live in. Sorry, but hey. All right, on that note, We've made it halfway there, still living on a prayer. <laughs> so stand up, take a stretch, and then let's dig into the back nine. Woo! I mean, back five. All right, let's jump over and talk about Grayscale, everyone's favorite weird shadow investment firm buying up all the crypto. So. Digital assets management firm Grayscale has increased the weighting of Bitcoin and Ethereum in its digital large cap investment fund. The change in composition comes at the expense of XRP, BCH, and Litecoin. 
Uh, in the two weeks following Bitcoin's halving in May of 2020, Grayscale's rate of Bitcoin acquisition was 153% of all Bitcoin mined. That is correct. They bought more Bitcoin than what was mined for like two weeks. And that's just the data we have. They might still be doing similar things. I don't know. So. Uh, the percentage of Bitcoin in the fund increased from 81% to 81.5%, while Ethereum's weight in the fund increased from 96 to 11.7%. Um, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin are all in there. And as of the 30th of June, XRP has 3.6%, Bitcoin Cash 2%, and Litecoin 1.2%. So this grayscale is shifting heavily into Bitcoin and Ethereum. So the single asset investment funds for Bitcoin and Ethereum are the largest under the firm's management, totaling Bitcoins total 3.5 billion and 410 million for Ethereum respectively. Uh, Cash, Litecoin, XRP have a total of about 12 million between the three, which is insane. So yeah, they've got quite the renewed thirst through for Bitcoin throughout most of this year. Um, Grayscale was estimated to be purchasing the equivalent of around half of all Bitcoin mined, and after the halving, the rate improved to over 153% of all Bitcoin mined in that period. Um, by early April, the digital asset investment firm was also shown to be purchasing the equivalent of half of all Ethereum mined in 2020, eventually coming to own 1.1% of Ethereum's circulating supply. Dear Lord, this investment company, for whatever reason, has an obscene faith in Ethereum and Bitcoin, and we all know it's probably not misplaced. Like, if they've got 3.5 billion, a Bitcoin 10X would put them at 350 billion. A 10x from there would push this firm, so 100x from Bitcoin's current prices, which some analysts think is possible, would put this fund in the trillion dollar space. It's insane. Absolutely insane. Slightly unsettling. With a name like Grayscale, they sound like a villain in a Michael Bay movie. So... You know, like they'd have like a cool dragon. Um, yeah, they'd call it, you know, like Grayscale International, be like a private military company. They'd have this like gray dragon shoulder patches, and you know, they'd all talk about family and smoke cigars and, you know, put them out in the hero's, you know, arm or his wife or something like that. Like, yeah, it just it's, an, it's a very unsettling name to me. Um, and they're buying up a lot of Bitcoin. It makes me uncomfortable, and I don't know why. But it's definitely something to watch, because if such a big entity like this has faith in Bitcoin and Ethereum, well, it shows it's probably going to be around. You don't invest $3.5 billion into something that you think is going to disappear in two years. So eh, we'll see how this goes. Alrighty, hopping on over. I included this one. Because this guy said massive Bitcoin rally will set our hair on fire. I just laughed when I read that. Um, so yeah, a group of crypto influencers is offering their take on Bitcoin's future. In a new episode of the What Bitcoin Did podcast, um, Nick Carter, Tur Demester, and Rob Breadlove and Alex Leishman 
you know, agree that a widespread economic shift is brewing around the world, which will ultimately benefit Bitcoin. So what I think is likely to happen in the next 24 months is a wave of sovereign currency failures similar to the Asian financial crisis of the late 90s. We've actually seen this kind of, you know, Venezuela, Argentina, Lebanon are all in the throes of some intense, intense hyperinflation. We've talked about them previously on this channel. Um, yeah, similar to the post-Soviet Union when a lot of sovereign co currencies failed. You see it at times of dollar strength. You see it at times of global dislocation. It's regional and it's contagious. We've begun to see some distress in some sovereign currencies when there's a lot of debt. The world is very indebted and emerging market in emerging markets, and unfortunately, I think it's going to immiserate tens of hundreds of millions of people. For some of those people, they will be able to use the crypto financial rails to exit their sovereign local currency, and they can go to Bitcoin, they can go to the US dollar. There are stable coins on these rails, so I think this is going to be a big story for the next year. You know, Bitcoin is a self-directed insurance policy. The first time you buy it, you store it in one place, but then I think it's a good idea to think about storing it in different places. There's no FDIC. It's not insured. You lose your keys or a company goes bust. It's game over and you have to rebuy. So you got to think about that. But you also need to have a plan for the Bitcoin prices. Uh, rallies are nothing like you've ever seen. Prices go up 10x, 100x in short periods of time. So you need to think about an exit plan and tax consequences. A lot of people got burned in 2017 with the way the market rose and fell and rose and fell because they didn't have a clear understanding on how taxes work. Um, but yeah, you know, he says, I know this maybe doesn't sound likely because Bitcoin has been moving sideways for two years, but I have a lot of conviction that we see another massive rally that's going to set our hair on fire. It's not about that. It's the insurance policies that's going to start paying out and that is once we see that 10x or 100x rally. So very interesting conversation. As always, the full article is in the description if you want to listen to it. Or you can check out the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Um, I think I might actually do that after this. And when you're done, I also post these episodes to my own podcast if it's more convenient for you to listen there. I'm still waiting on getting listed on Apple and Google, but I'm all the, on all the other major crypto. All the other major podcast networks. Um, all right, self-shilling done. It's interesting, good opinions. I do agree with them. Currency is going to start to fail. The coronavirus has only shown the weaknesses that are, exist in the current systems and the deficit spending that's going on. I do think cryptocurrencies will help see a lot of people out of it. So there we go really all I got to say about that. It's an article I clicked on because of the title and it ended up having a decent amount of thinking in it, which I enjoy thinking. So there we go. Alrighty. Let's hop over and talk about Cardano. It's closing in on Bitcoin SV. Status is the sixth largest crypto. For those of you new to the space, Cardano at one point was the fifth largest. Um, it had a market cap of about $20 billion. I think it's currently sitting in the 3 to 4 range. It was only trading behind Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, and Bitcoin Cash at the time. But ADA has slumped over 2018 and 2019. However, data shows that the cryptocurrency 
is up more than 200% since the start of this year. This makes it the best performing smart contract coin of the year, and smart contracts aren't even enabled on it yet. The asset's performance is even more striking when you take the return from March lows. From the cap capitulation lows, the asset has gained over 500%. For some context, Bitcoin is only up 150% since those same lows. So, very interesting. Um, Gogan, which will include the enabling of smart contracts, I believe, is set to release sometime late this year, based on what I've heard. But the focus right now is on the Shelley upgrade. And the founder of the cryptocurrency, Charles Hoskinson, said that with the introduction of the Shelley upgrade, it will begin to combat some of Ethereum's market share as a smart contract platform. Uh, he says, we're speeding up and accelerating what we're doing. So with some of the highest quality code that's ever been written in the history of our space, because we're using a really scientific language, Haskell, and we're using formal methods that which is in the same engineering standards that NASA uses and SpaceX uses for their rockets. Yeah, no, he's commenting that Cardano's a high-class platform doing high-class things. Um, Cardano also stands to rally because Shelley activates staking, which is the process of locking up one's cryptocurrency, thus participating in a blockchain's governance, which provides a yield to participants. I have uh, what I consider to be a large amount of money into Cardano. Many of you would consider it to be a small to mid-sized stack, quite honestly. It's a lot for me, though. Um, I'm very excited for Shelly. I'm very excited for Cardano and the price and what it's going to do. Um, once they activate smart contracts, ah, I do think we're going to be seeing this in the top five. Um, I want to say top four. It's going to be hard to get past... Uh, tether but i i could see cardano having a very very good future but i see a lot of these coins having very very good futures so it's going to be interesting to see because at the end of the day i do think the cryptocurrency market is heading for that mythical magical one trillion dollar market cap once we hit that point we're here we've arrived that's when the world will discover it and that's when uh, Lambo Land, Moon, Mars, uh, Moons of Saturn time will happen for those of us in the cryptocurrency space currently. Uh, that is my hope for everyone, for myself and everyone who's listening right now, that we will quote unquote make it, whatever our definition of making it is. You know, for me personally, it's being able to buy a mid-sized family home in the Midwest. Um, and knowing that I'm going to be able to retire at a decent age and just live a comfortable life. That, that's it. That's all I want. Just be able to buy a house, own it outright, so all I'm paying are property taxes, and just live. Have a good, not have to worry about, you know, getting a promotion or big raises or anything like that. Just be able to work, you know, a 40-hour workweek job, spend time with my family, and do all that. I actually enjoy going to work most of the time. I like the interaction with people. So I just hope that all of us get to whatever that point is for ourselves. And that's all I got to say about that. So <clears throat> YouTube scams. I'm talking about these a lot because they keep making people money. So scammers raked in $24 million in Bitcoin during the first six months of 2020, 
One particularly successful scam made 130000 in a day with nothing more than a one-page website, a Bitcoin address, and a decent amount of YouTube advertising. Another pocketed more than $1.5 over six months by promoting a fake digital assets exchange with an amateurish website ridiculed with spelling errors. <sighs> Don't do these things. It gets so frustrated by this. Oh, God. <clears throat> Don't do these things. Scammers have made off with over $38 million worth of Bitcoin. And this is just Bitcoin alone in the last four years, excluding Ponzi schemes. By the end of 2020, Whale Alert estimates that scammers will make a $50 million in annual revenue, a 2,000% increase since 2017. Never, ever send your money. I mean, this is hard. It's rough because there's so many different platforms and enrollments and KYC and all those, all these things. It's very hard. Be very careful. Send never, and all of, of course, always, if you're unsure, but you're going to do it anyways, don't send the full amount. Don't send the full amount. If you're not sure about a website, don't put $5,000 worth of Bitcoin on the website. Put 50 and see if you're able to get it back. Like, ah. <sighs> okay, let's wrap this up with some good stuff. So Bitcoin mining difficulty sets new record high two months after the halving. And there's some, uh, there's some interesting information in here, which is why I wanted to include it. So Bitcoin mining difficulty, a measure of how hard it is to compete for block rewards on the network, just set a new record high, 17.35 trillion. Uh, this marks an almost 10% jump from the previous record of 15.78 trillion posted on July 1st. Um, <clears throat> an increase in difficulty reflects the increasing computing power being applied to mining Bitcoin. Uh, Monday signals the investment in state-of-the-art mining machines continues to grow after the halving, even though the price of Bitcoin has remained stuck in a range between 91 to 9,500 since early July. Bitcoin mining difficulty is designed to adjust every 2,016 blocks, or about every 14 days. Um, if more miners have plugged into the network in any one cycle, pushing the average 14-day hash rate up, up the difficulty will subsequently rise in the next cycle um, so Dmitry Ushkov chief commercial officer at BitRiver um, spoke on this he's got the largest Bitcoin mining hosting provider in Central Asia yeah, he said with supply chain and business disruption resulting from the coronavirus pandemic completely resolved in China estimated to have around 65% of Bitcoin's mining power this has resulted in a surge in the number of miners that were shipped and delivered in the past two months, and these miners are now online. So with an average electricity cost of around three cents in China's southwestern region during the rainy season, a standard Ant Miner S9 would be operating at loss with Bitcoin's current price and record high difficulty, but available firmware upgrades could be applied to bring down its electricity consumption to improve the overall profit margin by 20%, process known as underclocking. You know, while 20% might seem a significant margin, uh, in terms of actual profit, an underclocked Ant Miner can only generate an almost negligible profit of less than... Uh, 
50 cents in 24 hours, even at an electricity rate of three cents. So um, although it may look as if some old models are not profitable enough, in reality, they are not shutting down now. He said, Jiang expects these older machines to be phased out by the end of the rainy season in China around October, but throughout the summer, the hash rate won't change too much if Bitcoin's price remains static. So a lot of information there for you. Difficulty is up, but investment in Bitcoin mining continues because prices are cheap right now. So they're investing heavily, knowing that once the rainy season in China is over and electricity prices are go up, they can start turning off these older miners. And as we've actually kind of talked about in a previous thing, they'll probably ship it off to Kazakhstan and other uh, Central Asian countries where electricity prices are even lower um, and continue to mine them there until such time that even that phases out and that's probably where they'll get dumped. So pretty interesting, little unsettling that China's got 65% of Bitcoin's uh, hash rate, but it is what it is. So, all right. Well, that wraps up the 10 things I want to talk about today from trending the cryptocurrency space. If you made it this far, please uh, like, subscribe, comment. I mean, why not at this point? Uh, I do appreciate all those who have done it. Uh, it helps keep me mentally sane in my quarantine state. I enjoy interacting with y'all. Um, I'm having a lot of fun doing this and want to continue, and your support helps me do that. So, uh, Bitcoin's pretty flat. Ethereum's up percent and a half, XRP's up a percent and a half, Bitcoin Cash is flat, Cardano's up 7.67%. They did flip Bitcoin SV again, uh, sitting at a $3.4 billion market cap to SV's 3.39. So not by much. We'll see if they can maintain. Uh, honestly, I'm very hopeful that Cardano will be able to get into the $5 to $7 billion market cap range with Shelly's launch, and that would put it in the number five spot. Um, they'd have to increase to almost 10 billion to get above XRP, but we'll see where they go. Uh, Bitcoin SV is flat. Litecoin's up a percent. Bitcoin Binance Coin bleh, is up two percent. Chainlink up 19.79 percent, seven dollars and eighty-six cents. Popped itself into the number 10 market cap spot. Honestly, Chainlink and Cardano could be in for a fight in this next bull run. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Those are the type of fights I enjoy because that just means more profits for us all. Um, moving down the line, nothing too crazy. Tezos is up about 14, 15%. Good for them. I wonder what's going on over there. Maybe we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Uh, and VeChain is in the top 20. Woo! Up 7%. All righty. So that does it for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon.